1: Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law, who's joining us via Skype. Hello, Professor Gershon.
2: Good morning, Liz. It is great to be here this morning. And, uh, we are actually going through our ABA, American Bar Association, uh, re-accreditation visit, uh, this week. And, uh, and it's great because I think our law school has done some great things and, uh, we're proud to show it off. But, uh, you know, we'll also be happy anytime you have inspectors come to your, your school, you're always happy to, to see them go, even though they're wonderful <laughs> people. But, uh, it is great also today. I'm really, uh, so happy that we have Lewis Watson Jr. on, uh, the show today because we, we really have not focused uh very often on employment law questions and he is an expert in employment law he's with the firm of watson and norris PLLC in, down there in jackson and um, he is widely published and he's spoken often on this subject uh, he was the editor-in-chief of the uh, mississippi law journal when he was here as a student uh, and so we're really lucky to have him on today and excited to talk about employment law
1: thank you lewis for being with us today
3: I'm glad to be here. Thank you.
1: And I saw from your uh, background information you have a little bit of divided loyalties. You did your undergrad at a state.
3: That's right. I, I thought I wanted to be an engineer, and so I attended Mississippi State University and received my degree there, and then I moved on to Oxford and went to the University of Mississippi Law School and graduated there in 1991.
1: Well, it's always good to have a a, a background. I, I thought I wanted to be an engineer for one year.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they're, they're a great bunch of people, but... Uh, uh, It's definitely a calling. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about employment law, and there's such an alphabet soup. Well, there's an alphabet soup for everything, but uh, employment law has a lot of alphabet soup. Let's talk about some of the different standards and rules that uh, deal with employment law, and the first one is FLSA. What is that one?
3: All right. That is the Fair Labor Standards Act, and you know, what you're talking about is a federal law. And one thing to understand on the front end is that in Mississippi, uh, we basically don't have any laws that protect employees. And so federal law provides virtually the only relief that there is for employees and give employees certain rights. And the first law that you just mentioned is probably the oldest, the Fair Labor Standards Act. It was passed back in 1938. And the Fair Labor Standards Act Uh, guarantees that workers essentially will be paid minimum wage, which is currently $7.25 an hour, and that they will be compensated at time and a half for all hours worked in a work week over 40 hours. So the Fair Labor Standards Act is there to protect employees uh, from abuses and underpay by their employers.
1: All right, and let's take one more before we go to some calls. The FMLA, now that's a newer one.
3: That is. uh, That was passed back in 1993, the Family and Medical Leave Act, and essentially what it does is it provides unpaid leave, up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave for qualified workers.
1: Excellent all right let's go ahead and go to Sue in Beaumont Sue thanks for calling into legal terms today you're on the air go ahead Thanks I'm so glad to have some lawyers there because I have a question to ask and it's not exactly apropos to the subject but I would like to ask
4: the lawyer and people there a question okay All right go ahead about a civil right
1: uh, isn't a person's civil right uh, to make self-determination how they want to end their life? Oh, that's a deep one, there, Professor Gersh. That, that is a deep one. Well, and actually,
2: you know, that's that is a deep one, and that's something that uh, people are still struggling with. Uh, there are some states like. Uh, the state of Washington now has a new law that allows uh, some participation and, and end of life by someone when they have a terminal illness and uh, they're not going to recover from it. But, but typically the answer is no. Now, um, you can what you can do, this is something I highly recommend everyone do, is have a, uh, an advanced health care directive. Which Mississippi does allow, and every state allows. The Supreme Court has said, U.S. Supreme Court has said, we can do this, and that is, you can make determinations that uh, you, at some point, when you have a terminal illness, you don't want to have any uh, life prolonging measures taken. Uh, you can withdraw uh, things like even food uh, and, and water that, if it's being given to it through a tube. But that's something that's a big, big question, and uh, we haven't totally resolved it. But in terms of actually ending your own life, most states would say. The answer is no, you can't do that.
1: All right, Sue. Well, I hope that we've got lots of civil rights, but apparently that one is not granted yeah, to that us. Is not right. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. Let's get back to some more of these uh these acronyms associated with employment law with our guest Lewis Watson a lawyer who works with employment issues and if you have a question like Sue did we would love for you to call in our number is 1877 MPB ring that's 1877 672 7464 and our email is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, another one, uh, quickly just gloss over what the Americans with Disabilities Act, and I kind of laugh because all of these have, you could just, you could probably spend a day talking about each of them, but uh, what's the ADA?
3: Sure. The Americans with Disabilities Act was passed back in 1991 and The part of it that deals with employment uh, basically provides that Discrimination against individuals with disabilities is prohibited in the workplace. And essentially, it requires an employer to make reasonable accommodations for an individual's disability. But of course, the individual has a burden or an obligation to inform the employer of any need for a reasonable accommodation.
1: All right. And we've got a couple more that we're going to mention and then get into detail in our the rest of the show. The A-D-E-A. What is this one?
3: That is the Age Discrimination in Employment Act. And it came along uh, after the Fair Labor Standards Act, although it is patterned on the Fair Labor Standards Act. And what the ADEA mandates is that individuals over the age of 40 are protected against age discrimination. So essentially it provides relief for individuals who feel like they've been discriminated against because of their age in the workplace. And in order to be discriminated against, you have to suffer an adverse employment decision. So that consists of a termination or a demotion or a cut in pay. So you have to have one of those triggering events to have a claim that could be actionable under the Americans with this, I mean, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. And it's the same with the ADA.
1: And Professor Gershon, am I right? There are a lot of laws that don't take effect unless you're a protected class
2: that is correct, and and so there there are certain discrimination rules. Really, uh, typically, uh, you have to be in some kind of protected class. I'm I'm very happy. Uh, I didn't used to care as much about this 20 years ago, but I'm glad that the ADEA is is there and and actually protects older people as well in employment.
1: Oh, and Professor Gershon, what is your favorite <laughs> employment law?
2: <laughs> and it really is important. It's a, it's the uh, ERISA is what the acronym is but it's the Employee Retirement Income Security Act Uh, and it actually, it it is labor law it's tax law Uh, there are tax incentives given employers provided that uh, they follow certain rules to, with their retirement plans to make sure that uh, their employees are covered, that the employees have protection on their retirement, um, deferred compensation rules that we, we called it in tax school, deferred graduation. Um, but it really, it's a very complicated area, and Lewis would know a lot more about it than I would because it really is more employment law than it is tax law.
1: All right, well, we have a couple of calls. We're going to try to get to some before we go to our break. Let's go to Stephen in Memphis. Stephen, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead.
5: Thanks very much for taking my call. My question is Is an employer able to require their employees to have or purchase certain things as a condition of the employment? There are a lot of examples. The one that's really on my mind is if you're a server in a restaurant and you're required to wear, let's say, a white shirt and a tie and pressed pants, but you make $2.12 an hour, is that uh, legal or accepted?
3: I think what you would have to look at is whether or not this requirement by the employer would violate any provision of, of the Fair Labor Standards Act and what the Fair Labor Standards Act provides is that you can't make deductions from an individual's pay that would take them below seven twenty-five dollars an hour and you can't touch at all or make any deductions from any overtime pay that is owed so in the situation that you're talking about with a server there's special rules that apply to the server but i would think that the same provisions apply that they can't uh be their pay cannot be deducted below that certain minimum rate Mm
5: -hmm. so they have to make a minimum wage regardless of what they purchase or are required to purchase
3: that is correct
5: interesting i got one more question i don't know if you have time for one more go ahead steven So if you work for, this is just one that came up in the workplace, not personally for me, but uh, if you work for a national company that has a branch in, let's say, Colorado, where marijuana has become legal, can the company uh, require that you still pass the drug test, even though your state law has uh, made it okay? Okay.
3: Well, essentially, if you're talking about a private employer, they can put into effect whatever rules that they want to. And so if they want to have drug testing, then there's there's basically no protection for an employee that would uh, afford them any avenue of relief. Now, if you're talking about the government, you have constitutional issues, and that's a different subject.
1: But an employer can have a drug test to see that their employee isn't impaired while they're on the job?
3: That is correct.
1: All right. Well, we need to take our first break of the hour. Uh, Michael from Wayne County, hold on. We're going to continue our discussion of employment law after our break. If you have a question, now's the time to call in to get your questions on the air, get answered by our guest attorney, Lewis Watson, who works with employment issues, and Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 1- 877-672-7464 you can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org one of the alphabet regulations that we'll touch on for employment is the ADA we'll talk about that when we come back from our break in detail you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio
0: listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
1: welcome back to In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash In Legal Terms. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our guest today is Lewis Watson, an attorney who deals with employment law. We're going to now going to go to the phones. We've got Michael from Wayne County. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead, please.
6: Hey, how you doing? I was um, asking about. Um, I, I I drive a truck and we get paid by the load. And I was wondering, you know, once we get our loads in for the week, if we have to work the weekend, we get paid the same thing. You know,
3: would, would that be considered overtime? All right. Well, that brings up an interesting. Uh, issue, and that is whether or not you cross state lines. Uh, If you do, then you're governed by DOT regulations and the Fair Labor Standards Act wouldn't apply to you. So if you drive a vehicle and you operate over state lines, then you're going to be exempt from the requirements of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Do you drive over state lines? All right. Well, if you do, then you're subject to DOT regulations and the provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act will not apply to you. And that's just one of many exemptions of the Fair Labor Standards Act. But unfortunately, you don't have any protection under that law.
6: Okay. I have one more question. It's a company that... um I have worked for several years, and it's never been a woman worked there. And every time I know of one that put in an application or something, there's never been one hired, and I don't feel like that's right. Is it anything that they could do?
3: Yes, if uh, if the employer is subject to the provisions of Title Seven which are that they have 15 or more employees, then any job applicant would be protected against sex discrimination. So if a female applied for a position and was not hired simply because she's female and a male was hired for that available position, then she would have what's called a prima facie case of sex discrimination. And the remedy for that in Mississippi is to file a charge with the EEOC. That's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And to do so, she would need to go online to EEOC.gov and file um, an initial questionnaire, which will then be processed, or she can visit the office. And there's one located here in downtown Jackson uh, in the McCoy Federal Building on the third floor. But she would need to file a charge within 180 days of the date of the adverse employment decision. So here, the day that she is not hired is the triggering date, and she would have 180 days or six months to pursue a claim.
1: Wayne, uh, Michael, thank you so much for adding both of those uh, to our topics. That's that's interesting to think of your employment can change whether you work just in mississippi or whether you have your employment crosses lines
3: that's correct and yes with regard to dot regulations that that's true and uh other states uh such as Louisiana, have their own laws that protect employees. So you have to look really at where the situs of employment is and what law will govern.
1: We are United States, but we are all different states. That's correct. All right, let's go to Debbie in Clinton. Debbie, we're glad that you're a part of In Legal Terms today. You're on the air. Please go ahead.
7: Hi. I hope this question is not at the wrong time. But anyhow, I got a divorce and in my divorce decree I was ordered to give my uh ex one half of my monthly pension plan, which I've been doing. He opted for me to mail it to him every month. I did that. And now they want to go back and to amend my divorce decree with a different uh plan. Is that
5: legal?
3: I'm not sure that I understand your question fully. Are you saying that your husband now uh, has perhaps hired an attorney and wants to amend the original divorce decree? Uh, Yes. Okay.
7: That's exactly what he wants to go in and amend. I'm not in default. I've been paying them every month. I'm not in default. But they want to go back now and change it.
3: Do they I assume they want to increase it? Uh, is that right?
7: Well, they're trying to hit another plan. Okay, and they originally uh, uh, attached, and it's written saying this is what you're attaching, and that's what I've been sending them for the last three years. And now they want to touch another plan of mine.
3: Well, I think that the you know, my recommendation to you would be to consult with a divorce attorney. And of course, you know, if they're taking an action to try to modify that original divorce decree, you would want to fight that and, uh, try to prevent any alteration or increase in the amount of pension benefits that you would owe your ex spouse. And, you know, certainly if, if, one plan wasn't included in the original decree and there's a valid reason for that I think that your attorney would want to assert that uh, to fight off any modification attempt
1: all right Debbie we hope that that uh, has helped you uh, it's interesting when you you think you you when you're an a employee uh, it the pension you know lives on so even if you're not uh, uh still working i guess does em- employment law does that still cover uh, retirement accounts
3: Uh, Yes, ERISA uh, in particular governs retirement accounts, and um, there are other laws that are part of ERISA, such as COBRA, and COBRA gives the individual a right to extend their health insurance coverage once the employment ends. So I think ERISA would be the law that you would look to for any uh, health or welfare plan issue or Continuation of any health insurance benefits.
1: All right, we have another call to go to. Let's go to Raylani in Hattiesburg. Raylani, we're so glad that you could join us on In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Please go ahead. Thank you so much. I have. I want to know
4: at what point in our Mississippi history or what event triggered "union" as a ugly word, a bad word in Mississippi.
3: Well, I think you have to look back uh, in the history of of the workforce in the United States overall, and I think in other states, uh, unions were very prevalent, particularly uh, in the north and, say, in the auto industry. And in Mississippi, it's a right-to-work state. So, as being a right-to-work state, you can't be forced to join a union, And so I think that companies have been attracted to Mississippi because it's very difficult for unions to get a foothold here. And I think you've seen with with Nissan, uh, they've been able to avoid being unionized. And it's because of our unique state law that uh, makes it more difficult for a union to organize a plant. And so I think the dirty word or dirty context that you are asking about probably stems from a lot of violence and things like that uh, over whether Unions were allowed to organize and to represent individuals in a particular facility Uh, But here in Mississippi um, I think our state has uh, been open uh, To corporations for them to come in uh, Because of our state laws
4: I Understand that we as Mississippians and I live here and I chose to live here I was born in Mississippi and have worked in a union, under a union, uh, all the way back to the 60s. Um, And we're supposed to be a Bible, in the Bible Belt, and yet we do things like no union. And I understand unions cannot set policy for any company. You negotiate certain things that's going to benefit the employee. Um, and it's a, a two-way street. But if you don't have a union, then you have no rights. As you said, it's a—it's a, it's a uh, uh, <laughs> really you say
6: a right not to work,
4: right state. to work, a right to work. Correct. It's really, not a right to work. You—you you can work. But you have to work under uh, other conditions. And we seem to do things that keeps, uh people in a underclass, under health, under jobbed, under educated. So uh, I would think that if people want to make advances in Mississippi, they would be voting for union. And I appreciate you taking my call.
1: Thank you, Raylani. We appreciate you adding to our our conversation. So, uh, Lewis Watson, our attorney, is our guest talking about employment law. Of uh, 50 states, how many are right to work about?
3: I would say uh less than half just off the cuff. Um as I mentioned earlier, uh Mississippi is also an employment at will state, right, which means that absent a, a contract of employment that the relationship can be severed by either the employer or the employee at any time, with or without notice. Um And so I think there are very few states that that are exceptions to employment at will, but there are some that require just cause for an individual to be terminated. And um, one tie back to the union question is that that's one thing unions typically negotiate for in their contracts with employers is that there has to be just cause for an employee to be terminated. So that is one protection that being a part of a union can afford an individual.
1: All right. We are talking with Attorney Lewis Watson about the laws around employment. It's time for our next break, but we'd love to take your phone calls. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 with your questions. If you can't get to a phone right now, but you do have a computer or your smartphone, email us legalterms at mpbonline.org another alphabet soup legal set of laws is the FLSA we'll touch on that topic also when and more when we get back from our break you're listening to in legal terms on MPB Think Radio
0: You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
1: You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert. We hope you'll you'll subscribe to our podcast. There are many different podcasting platforms. I like Podcasting Addict. Jay White, our engineer, likes Player FM on his Android phone. You download it to your Android phone. I think the Apple phones already come with a a podcasting platform uh, pre-installed. If you touch the plus, that takes you to a way to search for podcasts. Then I type in, in legal terms, in the search area. It brings up our show. You're able to touch the photo, then subscribe, and then you can be set up to listen to all of our shows. You can be notified when any new shows are posted. This morning, we're talking about employment law with our guest, Lewis Watson, attorney at law. Uh, Professor Gershon, how are you doing up there?
2: I'm doing great up here, uh, Liz. I really appreciate it. And this is such an interesting topic and so important. And uh, you know, I I really appreciate uh, Lewis's uh, trying to cover as many of these subjects as possible because, as you mentioned, you could talk about each of these for an hour. Uh, But uh, he's a great guest, and we're really happy to have him.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about the the Fair Labor Standards Act, because I think that does apply to most individuals in Mississippi who work in Mississippi. And how, how does it apply? You'd mentioned before that if your job takes you over state lines, um, how does it apply? Who does it apply to?
3: Well, that's a good question. And uh, the law has a basic requirement that to be a covered entity, Um, As an employer, you have to have gross revenues in the amount of $500,000 or greater. So that's really the threshold test of whether or not the Fair Labor Standards Act would apply, is whether or not that business, not based on the number of employees, but whether or not they generate gross revenues in excess of of, uh, $500,000. So if they do, then they are obligated uh, to pay... Non-exempt workers minimum wage, which is currently 725 an hour. And like I said earlier, if an individual works over 40 hours in a given work week, they're entitled to time and a half uh, their regular rate of pay. And so oftentimes um, you see violations occur. Uh, you see minimum wage violations where people are not paid minimum wage. But you often, you more often see overtime violations where employers fail to pay time and a half for all hours worked uh, over 40 in a given work week.
1: Now, was there, uh, here I go, I'm bringing in just a little bit of knowledge and. Was there a state law was it that they were going to talk about when overtime applied and when you were a a, a salaried and when you were hourly did that change recently
3: Yes. Those were some federal regulations. And under the Fair Labor Standards Act, uh, we have basically two categories of employees. We have exempt, which means the law does not apply to them. And then we have non-exempt. And so it's the non-exempt people that are entitled to the protections of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, Some of the main Categories of exemptions are, the first one is professional. So lawyers, accountants, doctors, people that possess a, a professional degree are exempt under the Fair Labor Standards Act. So really, it's a matter of, of negotiation uh, what those individuals will be paid. And there are no restrictions on the hours that they're required to work. I know you hear stories about accountants that have to slave away and work you know in excess of forty hours a week, um, same for doctors, same for lawyers. You know the reason that that is is that there are no overtime requirements that are applicable to them. So you have the professional category, which is one exemption, and a lot of people fit into that category. Another category that you have is administrative and whether or not uh, that person has a degree of autonomy and control uh, over their position and basically have the right to think for themselves. And if they do, they can be labeled an administrative employee. Um, And if, if they're in that category, then they're also exempt from the requirements of the Fair Labor Standards Act. And then you have uh, the latter category of managerial or executive. And here, if you have an individual that has the authority to hire and fire and supervises two or more people and spends 80% of their time performing managerial functions then they're exempt under the fair labor standards act i think a good uh example of that would be say the store manager at a local dollar store you know that person should have the authority to hire and fire should should um spend most of their time performing managerial duties but sometimes uh the concentration of workers is so thin at these stores that they spend time unloading trucks, that they spend time cleaning bathrooms, performing functions that are not managerial. And so it's possible to destroy that exemption. And if an exemption is destroyed, then they become a non-exempt worker and they're entitled to overtime pay for all hours worked over 40. If they're exempt, they're not.
1: This is your chance, folks. We've only got uh, a few more minutes in the hour to uh, avail yourself of this excellent information we're getting from Lewis Watson, uh, attorney specializing in employment law. We would love for you to give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING, that's one 1-877- 877 You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Yes, I am. Go ahead. I'm sorry
2: to interrupt. I, I mean, this is a question that's probably going to get me in trouble with Louis, But you know, I always think our students work as law clerks uh, during the summer and during uh, breaks and sometimes even during the course of the school semester. And they're typically treated in that capacity as independent contractors, even though they are, are not working anywhere else other than those firms. And I always wondered about that practice and whether that was really appropriate or whether they should be treated as employees.
3: Well that's a good question and I think you know the technical answer is that you have to you have to carefully examine the relationship and I believe there's a twenty three factor test that the IRS has to determine whether or not somebody is truly an employee versus an independent contractor. Um but I think that if they're treated as independent contractors, that has different tax implications uh, for that individual, such as will there be withholdings, things of that nature. Um, so I think you have to look at the degree of control and the right that that student clerk would have to uh, work on other projects for other employers, things of that nature. So, you know, I think that the safe uh, Course is to is to label them an employee. Of course, the individual may not like that because then taxes are withheld, and they may not be working enough hours in each work week to to really make a difference one way or the other. But uh, it's a pr- pretty significant issue as to whether an individual falls as an independent contractor or an employee, particularly with regard to overtime claims. And that is a a way that a lot of uh, employers try to get around the obligations of the Fair Labor Standards Act is by simply labeling somebody an independent contractor when they truly are not.
2: Well, Thank you. Now, the other thing I always uh, – concerns me is then the student has to pay all of their own uh, Social Security taxes, their own FICA, as opposed to having the employer uh, pick up you know a portion of it. And so, yeah, uh, you know, it's just – I know that, this, that students, when they clerk, really don't have any leverage in trying to say, hey, I should be treated as an employee and probably would not be in their best interest to say that. But it's something that every law school I've ever worked at, I always thought, well, really, shouldn't these, shouldn't these clerks really be treated as employees and not? independent contractors.
3: Oh, yes, because they really get penalized at tax time. You know, there's a self-employment tax. So when you talk about FICA, uh, typically 7.65% is deducted from an employee's paycheck, and the employer pays the other 7.65%. So at tax time, the obligation falls on the uh, clerk to then pay the full freight of the FICA tax.
1: Oh, they should unionize. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we've got. Uh, we're going to take a couple of calls before we go on to our next break. Let's go to Joe in Macomb. Joe, thanks for being a part of In Legal Terms today. You're on the air. What's your question?
7: Yes.
8: Uh, good afternoon. I um, recently uh, received a, a non-renewal of contract uh, at our local uh, school district. And it was based on a uh, statement uh, in uh, my uh, uh, supervisor's uh, uh, evaluation uh, that doesn't uh, add up with her prior uh, evaluations, walkthroughs that she had did. So I was wondering, is, 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 what is the line in Mississippi law where a um, subjective comment becomes libel or slanderous?
3: All right. Well, that's a good question. Um, First, we have to look at the fact that you are an employee of a school district. And in Mississippi, we have statutes that apply to school district employees. And essentially, as a school district employee, you're a governmental employee and you have certain constitutional rights that are associated with your job. Particularly, you've got a property interest in your job, which can't be arbitrarily taken away. So we have statutes that govern the issue of non-renewal and what type of notification has to be given. So you need to look at your situation and look at Mississippi Code Annotated in its requirements regarding non-renewal to make sure that the school district gave the proper notifications necessary. Now, if they are non-renewing you because you engaged in free speech or something of that nature... That can be a constitutional violation. If they're non-renewing you because of your race, sex, religion, national origin, that can be a separate federal claim under Title VII or some other statute. Yes, sir. So now if this individual has tortiously interfered with your contractual relationship with the school district, then there's a potential claim against this individual for tortious interference with employment. And that is a valid and recognized claim here in Mississippi even with an at will relationship. So and also it depends on what she's saying about you and whether or not that's false and defamatory. That could be another claim for defamation.
8: Okay. Well, the reason I was asking is that, you know, we are required to do the evaluations throughout the course uh, of the school cycle, and the, the comment that she made doesn't add up with what she was saying in the evaluations, uh, and that's the reason that the superintendent gives as to his reason for non-renewal, for comment, not the evaluations.
3: Right. Well, I think you need to look at her comment and carefully analyze that and look at, you know, is it a valid comment? Is it truthful? If it's not truthful, then that's a potential defamation claim against her. It's also a tortious interference claim against her. All right. Well, thank you.
1: Joe, we hope uh, you can get some relief for that. We appreciate you being a part of our show. We're going to take our last break of the hour. If you want to be a part of our show, you have just a few more minutes to call in. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Lots of alphabetic uh, acronyms associated with employment law. None of them are LMAFO, who had the hit Party Rock Anthem, but FMLA is one. We'll try to get to that and take calls from Bill and Casey when we come back from the break. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
0: You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
1: Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash In Legal Terms. It's also available on MPB Public Media app as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking with Lewis Watson, attorney with with experience in employment law. And we have two calls to get to before we round out our hour. Uh, Bill, we appreciate you hanging on. Uh, Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. Go ahead.
5: Yes, I'd like to know... uh if you're working your eight hours and five minutes before quitting time, they come up and tell you you got to work three, four hours over, or you're fired, what can you do about it?
3: Well, Bill, that's an interesting question. Um, number one, they've got to pay you minimum wage for that first eight hours of the day. And let's just say, for example, you're being paid $10 an hour, which is above minimum wage. Any, any hours that you work in the work week over 40, you have to be paid time and a half or $15 an hour. Now, an employer can come to you and mandate that you stay, say, on a Monday stay an additional three or four hours. But the employer also has the discretion to let you off early on Friday, another th- or three or four hours, or however many hours you work in excess of eight on that Monday to keep you at 40 hours. Uh, but the key is, is if you work over 40 hours in a work week, you're entitled to time and a half your regular rate of pay. Now, if you refuse to work it on a particular day, uh, Unfortunately, I think they can terminate you.
5: Yeah, that's true.
3: Right.
1: All right. Thank you. Okay. Lewis, I guess they can't make you work 23 hours in a day, or could they?
3: They could. There's actually no law that mandates any break. Uh, where you find those protections are in union contracts and things of that nature. Uh, but under the Fair Labor Standards Act, there's no mandate that, that any break, lunch break, or any other break be be provided. What is regulated is the amount of pay. And you've got to be paid at least minimum wage, and then you've got to be paid overtime at time and a half your regular rate. Now, is that a smart business decision? No. But does it stop an employer from doing it? Unfortunately, there's no legal prohibition. You would think they'd have good business judgment and not do that.
1: <laughs> You'd hope they would. All right. So the Family with Medical Leave Act—that's what uh, we talked about. One of the newer uh, laws that cover employment. Remind us who who this covers.
3: All right, this covers eligible employees, and so you've got to look at the employer to see if it's covered, and then you've got to look at the particular employee to see if they're covered. And an employer basically has to have 50 or more employees within a 75-mile radius. So if you're talking about a small mom-and-pop shop, they're probably not covered by the Family Medical Leave Act. There have to be 50 or more employees within a 75-mile radius of that person's work site. And then that individual has to be employed at least for a 12-month period and, and have worked over 1,250 hours during that period to be covered. Once they're covered, then they're entitled under the FMLA to 12 weeks of unpaid leave. And the key word here is unpaid. So it provides for leave uh, for the care of a spouse uh, or child or family member with qualifying conditions.
1: All right. And what uh, what if it's uh, not just uh, maybe if it's your spouse's family could or other who, who all could you help take care of?
3: Well, basically, it's interesting that the definition of a parent under the Family Medical Leave Act does not cover parents-in-law. So the fact that it is a parent-in-law would not qualify uh, for leave under the family medical leave. Uh, But there are certain... Uh, definitions in the regulations under the Family Medical Leave Act that determine uh, who's actually considered a child, for example. And you look at the relationship under the law to determine whether or not, say, an adopted child is covered under the FMLA.
1: All right. We have two minutes left. What, What would you want to leave our listeners with about employment law?
3: Well, uh, the way... That my practice has evolved here in Mississippi. Uh, it has evolved based strictly on federal law because there is an absence of any protections under state law for individuals. There are a few claims that can brought like we mentioned, tortious interference with employment relations. Those are the few claims that you can pursue under state law. But most claims are governed by federal law. And so what that means is that you're going to wind up in federal court instead out of state courts. So my practice is primarily a federal court practice and each of these laws that were enacted have different remedies, have different timelines associated with them. So I, my advice to someone is if you feel that you have a potential claim, you need to jump on it immediately because there are very short time windows that exist for you to bring a claim. Uh, for example, with regard to the non-renewal, I believe there's a five or seven day limit that you have to challenge that. So if you sleep on your rights, so to speak, you lose them.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, we so appreciate that you've been here today. Professor Gershon, you've uh, gotten us another good catch for In Legal Terms.
2: Well, I was very happy he was on. He did a great job. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you.
1: Well, and we appreciate you coming in so much. That's going to wrap us up for In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo, and our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, Professor Gershon, we sometimes don't hear enough of you, but uh, you are a fantastic and a, a, a diamond asset to this show.
2: Thank you, Liz. Glad
1: to be here. He hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, and up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress. She's another jewel. Lots of jewels here at MPB. But we hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.